I've been a member here for about 23 years, and um, I'll be helping out and giving the message this morning while Pastor Randy is still on sabbatical. So I want to mention that I'm just so glad to see our church, to be able to meet in person, but to also let the people who aren't able to attend yet to know that we miss them uh, very much. And I want to encourage you that as you are unable to attend, that we do uh, miss you and love you very much. I'm not sure how many of us realize, but October is Pastor Appreciation Month. And how we at this church appreciate our pastors. Pastor Randy and Pastor Bill, we love you. You love God so much, and you love his church. And you serve him and his church and teach so faithfully. And even though we don't have a pastor apprentice appreciation month, I want to let Nick know that we so appreciate him and his faithfulness. Um, he did a series of, of preaching through the book of James um, that I thoroughly was um, blessed with. And I'm not sure how many of you know, but every week Nick um, asks the person preaching about the message and the um, kind of outline for the message. And the songs that he chooses, he intentionally chooses to um, just support and kind of just go along with the message. So thank you, Nick. Please continue to pray for these men. As we're reminded, it's Pastor Appreciation Month to encourage them and to let them know how much you love them and appreciate them. Do you know this is now the 12th week that we have had different men from our church take turns preaching God's holy word while Pastor Randy, who normally preaches, is on sabbatical. 12 weeks. Man, Pastor Randy, I miss you. <laughs> um, but hasn't it been awesome to still be able to hear God's word, God's word preached so well? Um, I have, again, been so thankful and so very blessed and it has encouraged my soul when each of these men have shared God's word to his church. For we know it is God's word that convicts our souls. And it is his gospel that is the power of God unto salvation to anyone who believes. Uh, we've gone through a number of chapters in the book of Psalms and again, much of the book of James in these almost three months now. And I want to just give a short summary of God's truths that we have learned over these past 12 weeks. We're reminded several times of our purpose in this life, that we are created to praise God, to worship Him, to adore Him, and to glorify God alone, to delight in Him, and to enjoy our wonderful God and Savior forever. We learned that the believer will have a humble and content hope in God. A believer will have 
full confidence in God. Not self-confidence or haughtiness, but confidence and trust in God above all else. We learned that true faith in God is faith that is working. Faith that cares about and serves those that Jesus cares about. We learned that we are in a war, in a war for control of our hearts. What controls our hearts controls our desires and controls us. And God's word reveals that our hearts are very easily deceived. And so we need to test our hearts against what God's word says. And then we will be able to discern if our hearts are following him or our own selfish desires. A right heart worships and praises Jesus. A right heart builds others up in love and in truth. A right heart will result in right actions and in believers rising up and shining forth God's light in this dark world. We learned that what we say with our mouths reveals what's in our hearts. And that if we with our mouths confess and if we turn from our sins, that God through Jesus is faithful to forgive us of our sins. But if we remain in our sins, we are guilty and we will face eternal sorrow. Our sins will be judged either by us trusting in Jesus alone and trusting in his payment for our sins or in trusting in ourselves and our own solutions and thus needing to pay for our own sins eternally. We learn from God's word that the faithful believer will patiently endure the trials and the uncertainties we face in this life because of the sure hope we have in Jesus, and the sure hope we have in God, in who he is, in his promises, in his perfect plan, and in our eternal future with him through Christ. We learn that even though we may be walking in or maybe even stuck in the valley of the shadow of death, that God's goodness and mercy follow us all the days of our lives and that his steadfast love endures forever and that we, trusting in Jesus, will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. We learned that the faithful believer will humbly hope in and praise God in all things, that God knows the bigger picture, that he sees the complete picture, and that he sees the completed picture, that we need to be humble and consider that we cannot understand the vastness of who God is and the complexity of who God is. He is God and we are not. He is holy and he will reign forever. But he not only sees the big picture, he cares for us individually and personally 
and He cares about the things that we go through. We learn that God's holy word is a privileged revelation to us. And that we should let God's word shape our thoughts and shape our hearts and shape our responses to shape and develop us into mature Christ-like character as we go through our lives, our short lives here on this earth. We learned that believers will cry out to God and pour out their hearts to Him. And that when we pray, we pray for His will and His purposes and not our own desires. And that when things don't go how we think they should be going, that as a believer, we can still rest and find comfort and peace in the sovereignty of God and the steadfast love of God. So that when we might panic or we might despair, to instead turn to God, to trust in Him through Jesus Christ, because He can control the storms of our lives. We learned to have the sure hope, the 100% guarantee that one day God will make everything new and there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be no more fears and no more tears. And because of that, we can praise Him in the midst of trials and the midst of suffering and that we can praise Him in the midst of things going well. I wanted to say these short summaries to demonstrate how these different men over the last 12 weeks with diverse backgrounds, diverse personalities, and diverse preaching styles submitted to God and to honoring His Word and asking God through the Holy Spirit to speak through us that is not us, but it's him and his words to reveal his truth to his church can be in unity in preaching God's word for our spiritual benefit and to his glory and to his praise. God is so good to have given us his word. But before we get into today's scripture, inspired by holy God, breathed out by God, I want to start because I'm Wes, with an uninspired story. <clears throat> Once upon a time, there was a little boy, and his name was Unga Munga. And he had a little sister named Jennifer. And one day, Unga Munga and Jennifer went to the beach to surf, because this is Hawaii. And the waves are really big, so big that Unga Munga and Jennifer were too scared to even go out in the water. Don't worry, said Dad. I know you gotta do it. Sometimes you gotta just give them. Give them, said Unga Munga. What are you talking about? Is give them even a word? Oh, my beloved son, said Dad. Yes, Unga Munga, give them is a word. It's a local slang word that we use in Hawaii to describe doing something 100%, going for it with the attitude that you're all in. You're not going to give up. 
There's no looking back. So even if that wave is big and you think that you cannot catch it and that you cannot go through it, remember everything you learned. Remember that you can trust that God will take care of you. And go and catch that wave. And you don't need to hold back because God is trustworthy. And sometimes you got to just give them. So Unga Munga and Jennifer remembered everything they had learned. They remembered how God had been faithful in taking care of them, even through their young lives. And they thought about the confidence that Dad had in them. And so they paddled out and they gave it their all. When they came back in, they told Dad, Dad, that was awesome. You know, we missed some waves. We got pounded from some waves. But we gave it our all, and we caught some super-duper awesome waves too. Well, Dad said, now I think we should thank God and praise God for a wonderful day. Let's thank God for how a wonderful creator he is to have given us the ocean and the waves and everything else on this earth. And let us acknowledge that God is above all else and worthy of all our praise. Hey, Dad, said Unga Munga. Let's praise God with the same attitude with how we went out with the waves. Let's give him praise. Let's give it all we got and praise him 100%. And so they did. And when they got home, Unga Munga and Jennifer were still excited. And Dad told them, do you remember David? The shepherd boy, King David in the Bible, he praised God all in two. Do you want to look at another one of his psalms when he gave God praise? Yes, Dad, they said. So Dad opened his Bible and turned to Psalm 138. Um, Paul, if you can put on the, the title, please, and the outline if you have it. So the title of today's sermon is give them praise. Let's look at each of these words individually. Give them. Yes, it's a local slang word. Give it your all. Go for it. Do your best. Don't give up. You can do it. All wrapped together. Right? Having confidence in the face of fear. You're all in. You're not looking back. You're going to give them. And then praise. Praising God is bowing down before holy God. Exalting Him alone. Lifting Him up above all else. To worship God. To adore Him. To honor God as the only thing of worth. And God alone is worthy. To thank God. To pray to God to agree with God, to confess to God, to make music before God, and to sing praises to God, to rejoice in God, to boast in our God, to give God the recognition that He alone deserves and is worthy of. And so my 
desire for myself, for all of us, is that with the help of the Holy Spirit and through Christ, that we praise God with everything we got for all our days and then for eternity. That we give Him praise. We have two points today. Uh, first point is praise, praise, praise. Second point, why, why, why? Remember Chris talked about little Melly. I was asking, but why, Dad? But why? Um, this is why. Praise, praise, praise. Subpoint number one. Praise God with everything you are and to everything, everybody around you. Verse one. I give you thanks, or I give you praise, O Lord, with my whole heart. Before the gods, I sing your praise. David praised God with his very force of life, with everything that he is, his whole heart. He praised God with pure intentions and with fervent affection. His inner self agreeing with his outward expressions. There was no divided attention or divided devotion. He desired to praise God with his whole heart. In the same way, our hearts should be wholly occupied, wholly filled with one thing, praising the Lord our God through Christ Jesus. And David praised God regardless of who was in his presence. These were his peers. He at this time was a king. These other kings, I don't think at that time praised God, praised God but he did. Um, some um, commentaries say these uh, kings could be interpreted maybe as angels or as judges or as other pagan gods um, or just men of authority. But really, anything that stands in place of or in opposition of our praise of God alone, right? Any God or any idol that denies the divinity and the holiness of God alone. So in the presence of these, David praised God. He was as fervent in his worship of God in the presence of friends as in the presence of enemies of God. Think about it. If others do not praise the Lord, isn't that all the more reason we should praise the Lord? Verse 2. Praise God with the right attitude for who he is. Praise God with the right attitude and for who he is. Verse 2. I bow down, I worship toward your holy temple and give thanks or give praise to your name for your steadfast love, right, your loving kindness, and your faithfulness. For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. And some um, translation says, you have exalted your word above your name. 
So I thought about that. I thought nothing's above the name of God. But here it says that you have exalted your word above your name. So we'll look at that a little bit. But David worshiped toward the temple, toward where God dwelled and his presence was, with the right attitude and the right posture. And today, we are to pray and praise Jesus. Why would God say that he is magnifying his word above his name? When we know God's name represents his character, which is perfect. We know that God's name represents his holiness that is so holy, right? When the scribes wrote out God's name, they didn't write it all out, right? Just the consonants. And once they wrote the consonants of God's name, they would stop using that pen and use another one to continue because that's how holy God's name is. So why does the Lord honor his word even above his holy name? You see, God had made, has made himself known to us with general revelation through creation. And the Bible tells us that the heavens declare his glory. But his word is a special divine revelation that declares and goes over, right? It just describes his character, right? his attributes, his faithfulness. God's word describes his plan, right? His promises in Jesus, in the Old Testament pointing to Jesus, right? Describes how when Christ would come that he would be the savior of the world. And in the New Testament, describing Jesus' life, his perfect life, so that he could be the sacrifice that was acceptable to pay the penalty for our sins and to satisfy the wrath of God. Right? Um, his word says that Jesus is the word. Right? And Jesus is, in fact, even the name above all names. And in his word... God describes how we are to live for him and to be made more closely into his image. His word is what is fully sufficient for life and for godliness. But Satan also knows this. The devil knows this. And we know back in Genesis, Satan used God's words and distorted it just a little bit, right? That's what he does. He will try to distort God's word with unsound doctrine, right? So the word of God is the glass or the binoculars that we get to view who God is and his plan, and right, for, for our life and for godliness. And if that glass is cracked or distorted, then what we're seeing will be distorted as well. And then that's going to lead us to having deceived hearts and sinful actions. So we need to be very careful that when we read God, God's word and interpret God's word, that we're doing it 
through the, the, the revelation of the Holy Spirit in a way that honors His Word and doesn't distort His Word. <clears throat> so we praise God for His Word. The why, why, why. Verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me, my strength of soul, you increased. Some people say that experience is the best teacher. David had many experiences in his life up to this point. He was a shepherd boy. He was a talented musician. He, defi he defeated Goliath. He was an experienced and victorious warrior. He was an even more successful military commander than King Saul was. He had to then spend many years fleeing the jealousy of King Saul and the king's superior forces. And then when he was finally crowned king, he had to fight those who are still allies of King Saul, as well as the surrounding nations. King David was an adulterer and a murderer. But for David, this life isn't what mattered most. He longed for the presence of God and is described as a man after God's own heart. David knew victory and he knew despair. He knew about being in God's will and being deceived and in sin. He knew the highs of life and he knew the disappointments and discouragement. And he knew about having a downcast soul. But what David also fully knew that he could trust in the faithfulness and the deliverance and the love of God even during those trying times. And here, God's word says, on this day, he cried out to God. And on this day, God answered him and gave him boldness in his soul. And that's what we need. You know, God may not give us the things that we desire or the things that we ask for when we cry out to him. Yet, if he gives us strength in our souls, he has graciously and fully answered our prayers. Again, think about it. Soul strength and soul health is much more important than physical strength and physical health. God knows our deepest needs. And he gives us strength in our soul, then we can patiently and faithfully bear the burdens, knowing that he is for us. Romans 8 says, If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give him gracious how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? 
Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God, love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in creation will able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why do we praise God? Because he saves us from our enemy and he preserves us. Verses 4 and 5. All the kings of earth shall give you thanks O Lord, for they have heard the words of your mouth. And they shall sing of the ways of the Lord, for great is the glory of the Lord. Salvation is offered to all. The way of salvation for kings is the same as for anyone else. To repent, to turn from our sins, and to believe and trust in Jesus alone. It is by faith we are saved through Christ and not of ourselves. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. David was sure that when kings would hear God's word, their hearts would be changed and they would praise God because of God's great glory and worthiness to be praised. One day, Scripture says, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and those under the earth and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 6. For though the Lord is nigh, is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty he knows from afar. God is higher than the highest. His nature is high above the comprehension of his creatures. And his glory exceeds what our human minds can imagine. Yet, the lowly who come humbly to him are given his mercy. Being humble and in a place where we realize that we cannot help ourselves is a good place. God also says, a broken and contrite spirit he will not despise. Don't fall for the lie of being self-confident. Don't fall for the deception of being proud of yourself and depending on yourself. God is opposed opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. The proud that don't submit to God are deceived. God is not deceived. But God wants them to come to him. Verse 7. Oh, sorry. This is, he saves us from our enemy and preserves us. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You revive me. 
you stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand, right, where Jesus sits, your right hand delivers, your right hand shall save me. David saw this in his life. Very dramatically. Enemies sought his life, and God saved him. Enemies sought to kill him, and God preserved him, and God revived him. With one hand, God protected David from his enemies. And with his other hand, with his right hand, right, representing his strength and his power, God saved David. Talked about it a little bit. We also have an enemy who is every bit as real and every bit as dangerous as the soldiers and kings who sought to kill David. First Peter says, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. John 10.10 says, the thief comes only to steal, to steal and kill and destroy. I, Jesus, have come that they may have life and have it to the full, have it abundantly. We have an enemy in the devil, and he will take the challenges of our life, whether in our work or right now in our lack of work, in our health or lack of health, in our relationships, and the devil will seek to let darkness creep into our lives, to let darkness creep into our minds, to question God, to question his plans, to question his love. And if we listen to the devil instead of God's word, we'll fall into deceit, we'll fall into believing the distortions of his word, we'll fall into sin and destruction. The devil wants us to think poorly of others and poorly of God or less of God. So if our thoughts are leading us towards being a victim and not a victor, if our thoughts are leading us to eventually be devoured, if we kind of fast forward going through that thought process and if I keep on going down this line of thinking, will that lead to building God up, to exalting Him, to building up others in word and deed? I need to discern that again with God's word. Verse 8, our last verse. The Lord will fulfill his perfect purpose for me. His steadfast love, your steadfast love, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. In verse 2, it also talked about loving kindness. And this is God's covenant love and his covenant faithfulness. And God, if we look back into redemptive history of the events that Scripture describes and the covenants and promises that God has made, we have seen them over and over be fulfilled so we can have confidence in God. He made promises to the nation of Israel. He made covenants, right? The Abrahamic covenant, before the 
I can't pronounce these words, the covenant with Noah, with Moses, and with David. And we're now in this new covenant, right? this subsequent covenant. And for David, looking at his purposes that God fulfilled in his life, he told David, your house and your kingdom will endure forever. Your throne will be established forever. And God did that. And then for us, as believers, right, the new covenant pointed to and, and described in the Old Testament and described even more fully in the New Testament. Hebrews 8 says, in verse 6, and then I'll read verses 10 to 13. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant that he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. This new covenant, covenant right, is not a backup plan. It was always planned from the beginning of time, before the beginning of time. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. For I will be merciful, God will be merciful toward our iniquities, and he will remember our sins no more. And in speaking of the new covenant, he makes the first obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament promises for that given time period in history. He is the promised seed of Abraham, right? He is the blessing to all the nations. He is the prophet that is better than Moses. He is the priestly king from the line of David that will be on the throne and reign forever. Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant, the new permanent covenant that God makes that he will forgive our sins once and for all, that he will restore our fellowship with him because of sin. He he'll, has conquered sin, sin and death and he'll restore our fellowship with him eternally for those whose hearts are turned towards him and that trust in Jesus alone. The best truly is yet to come for believers. The best is yet to come, and it is a sure hope that we have. Because as we look back in redemptive history, God is faithful. If we look in God's word, God is faithful to fulfill his promises. That's great for these big picture items. But what about for me right now? And the purposes for my life? How do I get revived like David? How do I have faith in God when I'm in despair? How do I have my life preserved? All it takes, the Bible says, is faith. To know that God is holy, that he is above all things, to know that we are sinful and we have committed crimes against holy God. To know and to trust that what the Bible says about the penalty for our sin is true, that we'll one day 
have to have that penalty paid for. And that penalty is eternal death and eternal separation from holy God. To trust and have faith in what the Bible says about who Jesus is. That he is the Messiah. He is the promised Savior of the world. He was born of a virgin. He lived a perfect life without sin. He is the acceptable sacrifice for the penalty of our sin. And he paid for that when he died in the place of sinners on the cross. To believe and trust that Jesus resurrected on the third day, a miracle that only God could do, a miracle that demonstrates that Jesus has conquered sin and death. And to trust and have faith that if we believe in Jesus, if we trust in Jesus, if we turn from our sins, that we can be spiritually revived, spiritually made alive, and saved from the penalty of sin, only through Christ alone. And then to know that as a believer, we are a child of God. We have a godly purpose in our lives to praise God, to worship God, to glorify God alone, to delight in and enjoy our wonderful God and Savior forever. We know, because God promises it in Philippians, be confident of this very thing, that he who has began a good work in you shall complete it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of our works or any works of man, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, right? We are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, created for good works. We have a purpose which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them, we should live them. But my life doesn't feel like that right now. I have health problems. I have financial problems. My relationships are falling apart. Sometimes I feel like I'm falling apart. I don't feel like God has me in his hands. I don't feel like I'm living God's purpose for me. Know this, beloved church. God is concerned about what concerns his children. And like a loving father, because he is a loving father that cares about his children and cares about his children's hopes and hurts, God cares for you. Know this, beloved. He knows the bigger picture, the completed picture that we don't yet see. Trust him and praise him, even in the midst of trials, even in the midst of despair. I can fully say with 100% confidence that God has a purpose for you and for your life. Trust him, and God will see to it that all will be fulfilled according 
to his plan. God knows exactly who you are. He knows me. So I got up here ready to preach, and I forgot to pray before I preached, although I was praying down there. And I was like, oh, no, God knows that. What was I going to pray? God, use me, right, inadequate to share your holy word. He knows who we are. He knows our failings. He knows where we are in life. He knows what we're going through. But know that God will see you through. Trust him. And one day we will be with him for eternity. And that is most sure. You see, when we trust God and follow Jesus, we realize our life and our purposes are no longer our own. They belong to God. It's not up to us. Right? You hear these things, if it's to be, it's up to me. Don't believe that. That's not right. <laughs> right? It's up to God. He will fulfill it. God is the one that will redeem us. God is the one that saves us. And God is the one that perfects us, that brings us to completion. His promises will never fail. And when our life is in God's hands, then we can have the same confidence and the same prayer that David had when he asked God, do not forsake the work of your hands. And so like many of us today, when everything in our life seems like it's disrupted, when it seems like these waves are coming down and they're too big for us to handle, when we're facing despair, or when the devil plants doubt or distorts God's word in our minds, remember how faithful God has been throughout redemptive history. Let his word direct your mind to the right thoughts and the right beliefs. Look at Jesus. Look to Jesus. See all that God has done. And look forward to the eternal fulfillment of God's good promises. Beloved church, let's all be like Unga Munga and Jennifer and King David and give him praise. Thank you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, my praise and worship of you is so inadequate. So help me, Lord. Help me see more fully who you are so that I may adore you more. Lord, let me read your word more diligently so I may see your divine revelation. And Holy Spirit, help me to see the truth in your word. And Lord, help us as a church to praise you with our whole hearts, to worship you in word and in deed 
to love and encourage you and love encourage and love encourage others in 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 word and deed and in love and truth lord um and i thank you lord for allowing me to share your holy word please lord use it for your will for your purposes and for your glory we praise you lord in jesus name amen